Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would please. Several services ago, we preached from Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to preach and take our text from those same verses, and in particular, a couple of the verses that preceded our text from a couple of weeks ago. Hebrews in chapter number 12, we preached about regret and uh, used as our text verses 16 and 17. This morning, I'd like for us to begin with verse number 14 and read again through verse number 17, taking our text from verse 15. Shall we stand together, please, for the reading of God's Word? Hebrews in chapter number 12, and would you read with me verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 together in unison? Ready. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Won't you look at verse number 15, if you would. The Bible says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Look diligently. Beware. Be very careful. Keep a watch for this. Lest any man fail of the grace of God a forfeiture of the grace of God, rather than experience the grace of God for that circumstance, you turn instead to resentment and bitterness. Look diligently, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, guarding against Bitterness, guarding against bitterness. Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, allow me to communicate effectively the thoughts you've laid upon my heart for thy people. Please, I need your help. If there be some unsaved, may they be saved. If there be some hurting Christians today who are not handling the hurt so well, and perhaps, Lord, bitterness is not far away. Please, oh God, give them the truths they need to turn that around, lest bitterness spring up and tragedy result in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I was a sophomore in Bible college, and excuse me, I was a junior in Bible college, and and I was uh, had a bus route, and I knocked on the door of a family in a second or third floor apartment, Sweet little girl, about 12 years old. Her name was Carla. And Carla would be so excited. I met, actually, I met them on the sidewalk, and they uh, gave me their address. I would go visit them. And, and Carla was excited about the idea of riding a Sunday school bus and coming to church and singing songs with the kids and enjoying the activities we had. 
And uh, she was always enthusiastic, and, and, uh, and her mom would say, yeah, she can come, she can come. And, um, and yet I'd go by on Sunday morning and knock on the door, and no one would ever answer the door. And, uh, and I'd go on Saturday, and I'd cross paths with them, and yes, oh yes, and she'd be excited, and, and can I come, Mom? Oh yes, you can come. And, um, and um, uh, she, she would never come. One Sunday morning, as I was doing the pickups, I got to her apartment building and I started my way up the stairs. And before I got to her door, I could hear the screaming and the yelling and the cursing. And the mom, you're not going to that blankety-blank church and just cursing and swearing. And I realized I had come upon the reality of the home situation. While the yelling continued, I waited for a pause And when there were several seconds without a pause, I knocked on the door. And when the door opened, the mom was there. I said, hey, we're so excited about Carla coming to church today. And Carla was standing there with this terrified look on her face, looking at her mom and looking at me like I don't know what to do. And her mom said, well, get ready. And she came out the door. And I'll never forget how that, as we walked down the steps and back out to the bus. And I said, you know, Carl, I said, boy, the church folk, they love you so much. We all love you. The lady workers, they love you. Miss Terry, she loves you. And you know, that little girl, like so many other children in the world, are suffering because of the bitterness of another. Hurt and pain and brokenness that turned a person hard and hateful and bitter. In our text, the Bible says in verse 15, look diligently. Look diligently. Keep your eyes open. I planted a mimosa tree. Now, I can't believe I actually did it on purpose. But if you know anything about mimosa trees, mimosa trees, they volunteer. They'll volunteer in the middle of an asphalt highway. (laughs) But I wanted some shade over here. We lived behind the church here for 11 years, of course, and I wanted some shade in a particular area. And I knew they grew fast, and they, you could, you could uh, you know, cut them and so forth, but they'd broad, and now this, it provides great shade. It also puts a lot of stuff on the ground that has to be cleaned up. But anyway, but, I, but, but you know, once you plant one, then, then they start volunteering everywhere, right? They just volunteer everywhere you don't want them to. And, you know, bitterness is like that. Bitterness is like that. You may, you may just allow one little seed to take root in your life and you say, I'll just nurture this one hurt. I can't give this hurt up. I, I can't let that person off the hook. They hurt me deeply. They disappointed me. And you want to keep that and nurture it. But can I tell you something? Nobody ever was just bitter in one area of their life because pretty soon those start popping up everywhere. 
Can I tell you something? If you think the waitress and waiter where you eat is an idiot, and you think the guy that drops off your packages is an idiot, and you think your boss is an idiot, and you think your neighbors are idiots, and you think all the other drivers are idiots, maybe you need to go home, look in the mirror, and see where the real idiot is. Bitterness is like poison. And you can't just poison your finger. You drink poison, it's going to poison your whole body. And many, many people today, children especially, suffer because of the bitterness and resentment and deeply held anger of adults. Our text says in verse 14, follow peace. That means pursue it. That means go after it. The Bible tells us over in Romans And uh, in chapter number 12, he says this. He said, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. This week I said to someone, uh, 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 as, as, as I'm sure you do as well, do all that you can. All you can do is all you can do, but do all that you can to live peaceably. And uh, sometimes you find yourself in a position, you think, I, I, I think I've done everything I can. It doesn't seem to be possible. But the Bible says, do all that you can to live peaceably with all men. Two chapters uh, later, he says in chapter 14, in verse number 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another, edify another. Follow after, follow after peace, uh, follow after the things that make for peace, the Bible says. We make, this, we make issues sometimes over things we don't need to make issues over. He said, follow after the things that make for peace. Follow peace with all men and holiness, personal righteousness, personal holiness. Pursue these, make these your life's pursuit, without which no man shall see the Lord. The presence of God is forfeited when we do not follow after peace and holiness. Then looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Many, many others are hurt are defiled. Their lives uh, adversely affected because we allowed a root of bitterness to spring up in our lives. People often turn to deep sin when they become bitter. What kind of person would abuse a child? A bitter person. What kind of person would become violent? A bitter person. An angry person. A person who has perceived injustices in their lives, sometimes real, sometimes only perceived that life isn't fair and I wasn't treated right and someone sold me short and someone did this to me and we justify anger and pretty soon that turns to violence and, and we just become bitter and hard and angry at the world and how many, many people we hurt as we go through our lives as a bitter person. Such people turn often to deep sin. Their conscience being seared by their anger, hatred and bitterness. Verse 16 tells us that Esau became bitter. Esau became, verse 16, a fornicator. He became immoral. He threw his morals out the window. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, he became profane. May I say this? You ought to respect yourself enough to learn, get you a dictionary, get you, get, get you a, go, go, go to, go over here to Miss Anna's class. 
and uh, the kindergarten class and get you a C-spot run book. And Jack and Jill went up the hill and get you a couple uh, Mother Goose rhymes and learn how to talk without using profanity. Learn how to talk and carry a conversation without taking God's name in vain. Without having to accentuate whatever with a GD this or a this, that, and the other. Learn how to talk. Learn how to respect yourself and respect others by speaking decently. Bitter people. Who are these angry people? Their body language, their voices, the music they produce with such vile, disgusting lyrics filled with profanity. Who are they? They're angry and bitter. Sadly, many of them over-perceived injustices. The very idea of a, of a football, a professional football player making tons of money, taken into a home, cared for, loved, given opportunity to publicly display his resentment. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. If you have a case to be made, then make your own case. Once in a while, a person has come in this building because they have something to say. I offended a man two years ago. Came, loved the church, loved the church, and and uh, came to the altar. God was working in his life. And he came to me and said, Pastor, God told me to say something to the church. I said, let's talk about it. He said, no, God told me to say something to the church. He said, God's spirit, tell me to say something to the church. I said, brother, he may be, but he's got to tell me too. And he quit the church that day. I remember I remember, man uh, uh, coming up when I was a kid. My dad was pastoring. And uh, he came, came walking into the church. He said, I, I got to say it. I've got something on my heart, I got to say it. Came up to the pulpit, said a few words. They said, I am Christ. I am Jesus. And dad said, brother so-and-so, close us in prayer. Amen. <laughs> Pick him off to the side. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? If you have something to say, if you, if you think you're Jesus or whatever, you're going to have to get your own crowd to say it to. Do you hear me? Get your own platform. And if you think somehow, you multimillionaire, taken into someone's home, loved and cared for, given opportunity, if you somehow think you're mistreated, do not take that platform that was paid for by blood and use that platform to make your case. If you can't get your crowd and get enough people to listen to you to make your case, then keep your mouth shut until you do. But don't take the platform, a pledge of allegiance, a national anthem, to tout your grievance. You didn't earn that platform. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? The world is filled with bitter people who think they have been mistreated when the truth is, if we stopped and looked at our lives, we're free. We have food. We have clothes. We have shelter. I'm not saying everything's just in this world. I'm not saying that everything is even close to being just in this country. 
But I, I am saying this, my dear friend, you have a choice. You may not choose your circumstances, but you choose your response to your circumstances. And lives are being destroyed by bitter, angry people who spew out profanities and are involved in deep sin. Why? Because of some real injustice or perceived injustice, and thereby they become bitter and they want to spew it out on society. Number one, why do you buy their music and listen to it? Number two, do you really want that spirit? Do you want that spewed out on your own children? Fall on your face and say, God, thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for food. Thank you for shelter. Thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. You have a choice as to whether or not you will become bitter and angry. There are folks spotted around this room who know something about real injustice. The members of this church, whom I naively asked, did you lose family members in the genocide? And they looked at me with a puzzled look and said, why do you think we were in a refugee camp? And I felt pretty foolish. And yet, some of the happiest people you ever met in your life. Humble and grateful. Bitterness turns people to deep sin. Esau became insanely jealous. There in verse 17, afterward, he would have received the inheritance. He changed his mind. He wanted what he gave up. What he trivialized as a young man, now he saw the value in it. and He was jealous of his brother. He turned to profanity. He turned to immorality, which left him in verse 17 with deep, deep regrets. Decisions and choices that he made that he could never go back. Cain, first two boys born in the world. They knew. Mom and dad had taught them. Mom and dad, when they sinned, God took animal skins and made them coats of skin. Animal skins and clothed them. Those animal skins represent the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It was a plan of salvation all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It was, it was, a, it was a, a visual aid. <laughs> they tried to cover it. They tried to blame, you know, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent and so forth. And that didn't work. They tried to cover up fig leaves and that didn't work. They were ashamed. Their sin always brings shame. And then finally God said, listen, the only thing we can do, a blood sacrifice. And, and that blood was shed, the first of many, 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 tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals that would be sacrificed. The blood shed, why? To point people to a lamb that would one day come. And he has now come 2,000 years ago, the lamb of God. Jesus Christ, God's son, hung on a ro- old rugged cross and his blood was shed. And Hebrews teaches us the blood of goats and lambs, those things could never wash away sin. But the blood of God's own son can wash away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Those coats of skin were given to show, to cover their shame and illustrate them clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Cain knew that. Abel knew that. Their parents taught them that. And Abel, on sacrifice day, brought the precious lamb and his blood was shed. What did Cain do? King brought the fruit of the ground. He worked hard. He was proud of his efforts. And he did work hard. And he had 
fruit from the ground. And he brought that. He said, surely this will appease God. I've done my very best. I've worked hard. I think my sacrifice is just as good as my brother's. And the Bible says that God received Abel's sacrifice and he rejected Cain's sacrifice and Cain got angry. Cain got angry and God came to Cain. He said, Cain, he he said, you want to be respected. Uh, 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 You're the older brother. You want to be respected. He said, you can be respected. And he said, just obey. He said this (coughs) in Genesis. It says, God told him, sin lieth at the door. I believe (coughs) from studying that, he's talking about a sin offering. I think there was probably a lamb within, uh, uh, within view. And he said, right there, if you want, right there, lying at the door is a, is a sufficient sacrifice. You can still obey if you want to. And, and Cain dug in and, instead of swallowing his pride and saying, God, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I bring the sacrifice you require. He dug in and, 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 and said no and refused that opportunity. He became angry at his brother. It turned to hatred until it turned to bitterness until one day he said, I'll put it into this. And he killed his own brother, Abel. The first two boys born into the world, one of them a murderer. Bitterness will drive you to deep sin, to do and say things that you thought you'd never say and do. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I want to give you some things this morning that you can do to guard against bitterness. Some things that you can do to guard against bitterness. The Bible said in Matthew 5 and verse number 25. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Agree with thine adversary quickly. May I say this, number one, if you want to guard against bitterness, don't take offense in the first place. Don't take offense in the first place. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 21 says, Take no heed unto all the words spoken unto thee. The wise man said, Don't pay attention to the things that people say to you. I remember being on the streets of Chicago and some of the gangbangers that lived in that Humboldt Park area throwing a football one day and I was trying to witness to them and never got very far when they were in a group individually and they started using some words in Spanish they were vile words and I just played dumb like I didn't know what they were saying and I threw the football with them a little bit try to get a chance to talk to them and um, and um, and uh, th- they laughed you know whatever he hauled and, and kept saying those vile words and I just played dumb <laughs> And I'll never forget one of those uh, boys in that neighborhood, Omar, lived in a basement apartment right there on, on uh, Armitage Avenue. Witnessed to him several times and tried to encourage him, you know, do right and so forth. And, and, um, and I uh, never could get him to come to church. One Sunday morning, we were on our way to go uh, to get on the expressway and drive into Hammond. 
where the church was, and we were going down Armitage Avenue, and, and here comes Omar down the sidewalk on crutches, kind of throwing a leg like this. And uh, so I told Butcher, I said, stop. And got up next to him, opened the door and said, Omar. And he started walking toward the bus. And he put his crutch up. I said, what are you doing? He said, I want to come to church. I said, great, man, come on. Got on the bus and said, man, what, what, what happened to you? He said, well, he said, there was a drive-by this week. And I was walking down the sidewalk with my buddies. And he said, I got shot. And he got shot right there in the padded section on the back side. And I said, what happened? He said, all my buddies ran off and left me. He said, I was laying on the sidewalk bleeding. I was yelling, somebody help me, help me. They're going to come back. He said, I just knew they were going to come back around and shoot me again and kill me. He said, they all left me. He said, I realized something this week. They're not really good friends. And I thought to myself, you know, if I'd have taken offense at those boys when they were working their best to offend me and insult me, if I had taken offense, shot off my lip at them, I wonder if I'd have had that opportunity. Omar ended up getting saved. Can I tell you something? I remember, I remember Lester Roloff and Bobby Robertson, Bobby, Brother Bobby told this story. We're riding in a car together. And Les Roloff was unique. How many of you listen to Les Roloff on the radio? You need to if you don't. You need to listen to Les Roloff on the radio. But he was unique. He's against everything. I mean, he's against everything. Literally, he's, against, he's literally against everything. And, uh, and he had, you know, some things. That he, you know, he was very, very outspoken and meticulous about what he would eat and not eat and so forth like that. And he was outspoken about it. Anyway, Brother Bobby Robertson was riding along and made a comment to Lester Roloff, just in jest, but a little derogatory. He made a comment to him just in, just in fun. And as soon as he did, his heart was pricked. And he said, oh, he said, Brother Roloff, I don't know why I said that. I, I, I was so wrong. Please, please forgive me. And Brother Roloff said, Brother Bobby, if you offend me, that's not your fault, that's my fault. Because the Bible says I'm supposed to be dead. I'm supposed to be dead to self, and you cannot offend a dead man. Can I tell you something? The truth is this. This is what society... Listen, there are those in our society that want us at odds with each other. They want us all chopped up in little groups, taking stances one against another. But that's what the world does. That's not what God's people do. Let me tell you something. We're in the family of God. I'm glad about it. Amen. Amen. And if I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm dying to self, as the Bible tells me to do, then guess what? I won't be so easily offended. 
You listen, you be careful about anybody who wants to come and tell you how miserable your life is and how you've been mistreated and how you need some special consideration. Let me tell you what, let me tell you something. Every single one of us, starting right here at this pulpit and everybody else in this room and in the world, if God gave us what was fair, if God gave us justice, if He gave us what we deserve, we would all already be burning in the lake of fire right now. And anything less than that is by the good grace of God. I'm not justifying mistreatment. I'm not justifying any injustice. I'm just saying you'd be a whole lot better off staying grateful. You say, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. How many of you are saved? Say amen. amen. How many are glad you're not going to hell? Say amen. There you go. You can spend about the next 30 years on that one. Amen. When you get done with that, you spend about a decade on the streets of gold and the mansions. Amen. And if you run out, then I'll give you some more things to be thankful for. Don't take offense. Number two, if you do, don't hold the grudge. If you do take offense, don't hold the grudge. The New Testament word offense there gives the, uh, 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 a word picture of a stone, like a stumbling block. And to offend means to cause somebody to stumble. So the offense itself is like a stone and, and you come to it and you got, you got two choices when you approach an offense. Someone offends you. You can either trip over it or you can stand up on it. Amen? A lot of people have been offended and they stood up on that offense and became stronger and better people. But if you do give in to the temptation, and all of us in the flesh, we were fighting to walk in the Spirit, and we all stumble to this, we all give in to this. But if you do take, reach over and you take up that offense, the second thing is this, don't hold on to it very long. Don't hold on to it very long. Don't hold the grudge. James chapter 5 verse 19 says, grudge not. Uh, Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, bear no grudge. Ephesians four twenty six said, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Many, many years ago, my wife and I made a promise we would not go to bed angry. We stayed awake for seven days one time, but we've never <laughs> gone to bed angry. It reminds me of that Sunday school teacher that I had that was fighting with another Sunday school teacher. And they made a documentary of it. And... Um, it's an old black and white documentary. Some of you might know it as an intro. <whistles> anyway. But uh, I'm thinking about, well, why are you feuding? Well, because they're shooting at us. Why are you shooting at us? Because we're a feuding. Why are you feuding? Because we're shooting at each other. Why are you shooting at each other? Because we're a feuding. Listen, when you have gotten to the place where you don't even remember why you don't like somebody, it's time to let that grudge go. It's time to let it go. Can I tell you something? It's amazing that we give ourselves a pass. We say, well, I was just having a bad day. So the neighbor don't get a bad day too? He said, Pastor, he's at his limit. Don't take offense. Number two, don't hold the grudge. Number three, give a gift in secret. Turn to Proverbs 21. I'm trying to teach you how to guard from becoming bitter. 
how to guard from becoming bitter. Proverbs chapter 21. For many of you, this will not be a new truth that you'll learn this morning, but one oft repeated through these years. Proverbs 21 says, in verse number 14, A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. Hey, you want to guard against bitterness? Give a gift in secret. Give a gift in secret. Dr. Rice, my, my brother House, of course, was my pastor for seven years and I loved and admired him greatly. He had a mentor in his life, Dr. John Rice, who started the sword of the Lord and loved and admired him greatly. And those men agreed on probably 95% of everything, but they had a disagreement. They didn't, uh, Dr. Rice wasn't aware of it, but uh, Dr. Rice uh, 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 did not believe in what uh, some folks might call storehouse tithing. And uh, and that is that uh, the, the, the uh, tithe belongs in the storehouse, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. In the New Testament, they brought it at the apostles' feet, and that's the local church. So I do believe that you ought to tithe to a local church. I believe anything beyond that is a free will offering. You can give it wherever God leads you, for whatever purpose God leads you. That's why sometimes people ask me, I, I, I have this, uh, you know, and uh, and I, I want to use it somewhere. I said, is it uh, an increase? All right, then the first 10% belongs to the Lord. You don't ever designate a tithe. That goes, lay at the apostles' feet, is to help the work of the ministry. Now, anything give beyond that, put it wherever you want, as God leads you. So anyway, so Brother Hoff saw it that way. Dr. Rice did not believe that. He thought it would be fine to give your tithe elsewhere. They both believed in the principle of tithing, but the application was a little different. Uh, Dr. Rice was a much older man, much wiser man, more experienced man. And uh, the young pastor had a different opinion than his mentor and his uh, his hero, if you will. So he didn't ever, he never told him, so, you know, I don't agree with you on that. And by the way, smart people don't do that. <laughs> You're not smart because you can disagree with somebody smarter than you, okay? If you think you have a better idea, keep your mouth shut and it'll come to light eventually. Anyway. But somebody found out about that. Somebody who read the Sword of the Lord and probably heard Brother Hiles preach somewhere found out that the men had a disagreement. So he wrote Dr. Rice a letter to inform him. Dear Dr. Rice, I don't think you realize, but did you know that one of the board members, da 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 da, does not agree with you? <laughs> and um, anyway, so. Um, they were going to preach somewhere together. And Dr. Rice said, uh, they got, got in the car together. Dr. Rice said, Dr. Jack, I need to talk to you about something. He said, I received a letter. And uh, in that letter, I was informed that you are wrong in your belief about giving. And um, Dr. Howes very wisely said, he said, Dr. Rice, he said, you know what? He said, we probably should discuss that. He said, but I had something in mind that I wanted to do. I said, if you don't mind, if we could uh, just go over here to this store, and maybe after that we can talk about it. He said, well, okay, but we need to talk about it. He said, yes, sir, I understand. But I want to go over here. He went over, he drove to a men's store. Went inside, told the man, said, this is my hero right here. He's God's servant, and I want, I want, I, I want to help him today. I want to get him a suit. No, I'm going to give him two suits. Suit, shirt, tie, shoes, belt to match, the whole nine yards. 
And uh, doctor, wow, I, I mean, nobody else, nobody, nobody knew about it. Just the two of them in that men's store suited him up, two, two brand new suits, outfits, a full outfit. Got back in the car. And I said, what, what was it you wanted to discuss with me? He said, oh, never mind. Never came up. Can I tell you something? Listen, there are some things more important than proving that I'm right. And I am right, by the way. Um, but there are some things more than proving. There are some things more important than winning an argument. We were talking with, uh, in the Soul meeting yesterday, several dozen people in there. And I asked a couple of men, I said, tell me a mistake you made somewhere along the line. We were out soul winning. And one of our men uh, told me about arguing with a man that he had gotten in a home and was trying to reach the family and the family was opening up and so forth and, and then got, got in toe-to-toe with the dad over some doctrinal things and went on for an hour. And he said, I realized during that hour the family was always very open and amiable to me when I came by. But, but literally they had, while we were having this discussion, you know, this doctrinal discussion, the family had kind of gathered behind him. And he was like the spokesperson, not just, you know, not just the spokesperson, one doing the talking, but literally in front. And the rest of the family kind of stepped behind him. And, and he said, and they were all kind of in agreement with him. And he said, then it dawned on me what I'd done. And he said, I just stopped and said, you know, I'm sorry, I've wasted your time. And I, I don't know how he closed this, the, the, the conversation, but the point he made yesterday, he said, I, I realized something. What I was arguing for, the point I was making, was biblically sound, and it was right. He said, but I lost more than I gained. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? Uh, you, you, you may be right, but you know what? Uh, truth has a good way of taking care of itself. Amen? And you lose more than you gain over some of the dumbest little things, ideas, thoughts, and opinions that we make an issue over. And you know how many people are mad and bitter and angry? I, I, I talk to people. It's not infrequent. It is not infrequent for me to get a letter or to get a phone call with somebody who thinks... A man called me three or four times in the week. Ms. George, uh, she loves talking to drunks, and so she'll take the phone calls. But anyway, but he'll call drunk. He has one thing in the Bible he thinks he found that's right and I'm wrong about, and he wants to talk to me about it. And he said, what do you think about that? I said, I love you, but I think you've been drinking too much, and it really ain't helping us talk together. Well, what's he done? He found one thing in the Bible he thinks he's right on, and he's got to call and find somebody to prove his case. Now, let me tell you something. Listen, if you want to keep from being, you say, I would never, I would never do some of the things that Esau did. I would never. Listen, bitterness will drive you to do things you never imagined you would do. You become hard. You become bitter. It'll drive you into sin. The best thing is to guard from bitterness. And, and, and when it's just a little sprig coming up, then root that thing out of there. And don't let bitterness get in your life. How? Don't take offense. Number two, don't hold a grudge. Number three, a gift in secret. Number four, look at it. Verse again. Verse 21. Excuse me, verse 14. A gift in secret pacifieth anger. And a reward in the bosom. Strong wrath. A reward in the bosom. Now watch me carefully. What's the difference between a gift in secret and a reward in the bosom? A gift is undeserved. A reward is deserved. You understand that? 
a gift and reward. A gift in the bosom just simply means something that's close to the heart. Now, the difference between anger and wrath is this. Wrath is prolonged anger. Anger is a, is a, 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 it's a temper. It's a flare-up. You got mad about something. Wrath is something you've been mad about for a long, long time. Dr. Benny Beckham was here in 2013 and preached for five weeks in a row. And he said over every night, what are you mad about? What are you mad about? What are you mad about? And folks got right. Folks got right. Oh, listen. When you hold on to anger, it becomes wrath. And buddy, you're on a downhill slope to getting bitter. So how do you how do you deal with wrath? All right, so so you had a disagreement. There was a flare up. You said something to anger. What do you do? Send a little note. Put a little money in it. Don't tell anybody. Say, man, that was dumb what I said the other day. That's not worth our friendship. Go go out to eat. And uh, if you're not sure which one, maybe Cheesecake Factory would be a good one anyway. But, uh, but, but what is wrath? Wrath is prolonged. Now watch this carefully. He said, a gift in secret will pacify anger, but it takes a reward in the bosom. It, that means this. It has to be something that will touch the person's heart and it has to be deserved. You have to reward them in a way that will touch their heart to pacify wrath. Now, what does that mean? That means you have to find something good about that person and reward it. You say, well, ain't nothing good in them. You're warped in your opinion already. You're warped in your view already. God said of Jeroboam who split the kingdom, there's some good thing found in him. Can I tell you something? There's good. There's good in everybody if you look for it. And what you've got to do is find something that will touch their heart, something that's close to their heart, something that means something to them, and you need to somehow reward them. That means finding something about their character and rewarding them, either verbally or written. Many times I've encouraged folks, think about this. Okay, there's some wrath, an old hurt between you. Why don't you go back and reach back to some years before and write some notes of grat, some thoughts of gratitude and uh, a commendation for accomplishments of the past or the character that they have, uh, 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 the things that they've accomplished and something that will mean, that's meaningful to them. Not something anybody else knows about, but something you privately commend them. You're not doing it to make a show. You're not doing it to try to show somebody else I'm the better Christian here, but it's a private matter and you somehow reward their character you reward them and it's something personal that will touch their heart and the Bible says that will begin for the salve over some old hurts can I tell you something my dear friend bitterness can and will destroy your life and many others one last thing Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5 Look at verse 44. 
There's four words here, or sets of words. But I say unto you, circle them, love your enemies. Number two, bless, circle it. Bless them that curse you. Do good, circle those words, to them that hate you. Pray for them, circle it, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Victoria Ruvalo was driving down the expressway when a 20-pound frozen turkey came crashing through her windshield. It was thrown by a 15-year-old teenage boy. Him and his buddies stole a credit card, went on a spending spree for no reason at all, bought a frozen turkey, pitched it off of an overpass. It crashed through her window and broke every bone in her face. She went through a 10-hour surgery over a month in the hospital trying to reconstruct her face. At the trial, the young man approached her and quietly and tearfully said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. She in turn embraced the young man the, 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 the lawyers on both sides were choking up. And they wept upon each other's shoulders. And she told him, she said, I forgive you. Now let this forgiveness propel you to a different way of living. You make something of your life. Let my suffering cause good to come out of your life. When the sentencing, the boy was found guilty, of course. When the sentencing came, he was facing up to 20 years in prison. And Victorio pled with the judge for leniency. And she said, Your Honor, I don't think it would do society. I don't think it would do me or this young man or anyone else any good for him to be in prison for 20 years. I have forgiven him. Please. Judge gave him six months. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. Listen to this. Whereby they have sinned against me and I will pardon all their iniquity. In John chapter 20, listen carefully, I'll close. Thomas didn't show up that first Sunday night. And the disciples said later, said Jesus was here in his resurrected body. Jesus is here. And Thomas said, there's no way. They said, no, he was with us last night in his service. Jesus showed up. And the Bible said he did in his glorified body. He didn't open the door. He didn't have to. He's in his glorified body. He's resurrected from the dead. He walked in the room, the door being shut. The Bible specifically says. (laughs) They said, he said, it's me. Here, touch me. They touched him and it's him. He said, look, Amen. see the scars? See the prints of the nails in my hands? The side with the spear? My feet? 
Thomas heard about that. He said, there's no way. There's no way. They said, no, we're telling you, Thomas. He's alive. We saw him. We touched him. He said, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see the holes in his hands and his feet and the pierced side. The next Sunday night, Thomas showed up in case something else happened in that service. And Jesus once more walked in. And he said, Thomas, see my hands inside. See my feet. Folks, listen to me very carefully. Listen carefully. When you choose to forgive, you do not let someone off the hook. You let yourself off the hook. And choosing to forgive, now listen carefully, choosing to forgive, and as Matthew 4.44 says, to actually bless, to wish and pray for God's blessing on your tormentor is the forgiveness of which Christ spoke. Forgiveness means choosing to allow someone else to go free from what they owe you while you bear the scars of their sin against you. Do you ever think why Jesus was brutally mutilated on the cross? You couldn't recognize him. He died. Then he rose from the dead. Why wasn't he completely whole? Because as our example, he said forgiveness includes bearing the scars of another sin against you. You want to keep from getting bitter? He said, but they took something from me that can never be given back. To love as Christ, to forgive as Christ means I will pray for you, forgive you, love you, try to bless you, even while I bear the scars of your sin against me. You say, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. But Christ can help you do it. Supernatural. There's no doubt about it. But God will help you. Would you bow your heads, please?